0: Okay, it's really great to be with you this morning, and we're going to be continuing with our series uh, entitled Ignited, and today we're going to be looking at uh, Rebuilding the Walls. That's the title of my message today, Rebuilding the Walls, and we're continuing to look at Nehemiah's life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercies new today. Thank you for another day that you've blessed us with. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts? Come and fill my heart, mind, and mouth with your words. Come and equip us and help us wherever you've placed us to build and to guard, to work and to tend, to pray and to serve you, Lord God. Whatever garden you've put us in, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so like I said, the title of my message today is Rebuilding the Walls. And last week, we began to look at the man called Nehemiah, who God used to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah provides us with such a clear picture of the heart of the type of nation builder that I believe God is wanting to raise up at this time. Um, He was a man of prayer. And I said that I really love that about Nehemiah. He was a man of prayer. And he was a man that God, he, who allowed God to touch his heart with the things that were on God's heart. Um, when he heard the wall of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates of the city were burned, he took it to God in prayer and in fasting. And in fact, these were, these were his words. And we read this last week. I'm going to read it uh, as a refresher for us this morning. Nehemiah 1 verse 4 to 6. He says, when I heard this, you know, he's just heard that the walls uh, and the gates are, are destroyed Uh, the walls and gates of Jerusalem are destroyed. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer, look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. So here was this man, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to the king in a land far removed from Jerusalem. So he he was living in In ease, in affluence, in luxury, none of these ills uh, he could feel. He couldn't feel any of them in his world, but his heart was for his people. And so he took it to the Lord. He allowed it to touch his heart. And and so we saw last week, we were looking at this last week, we saw how Nehemiah was a man who carried the heart of his king. When he received this news, um, it was autumn. And it appears that he carried this burden and he prayed about it and he continued to carry the burden until spring, which is the first time that he managed to do something about it. Um, So all that time between uh, autumn and spring, he was carrying the burden. He was praying night and day, it seems. Um, And he could only actually do something about it in the spring. And that's when he returned to his homeland. And became part of the answer to his prayers and set himself to rebuild the wall and the gates of Jerusalem. And this is where we pick up on Nehemiah this week. Um, So we're going to pick up over here. So we've covered last week that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And that's the basis of everything that we're going to look at going forward. Now, I've got about five or six, actually six points that I'm going to cover with you all today. Um, Points that we learn from the life of Nehemiah, specifically things that we can apply in our lives when it comes to rebuilding the walls of our nation, rebuilding the walls of the domains that we're passionate about, rebuilding wherever God has planted us, whatever domain area we're passionate about, um, we can glean from Nehemiah, and that's what we're going to do this morning. And the first point, the first thing that I'm wanting to Um, draw your attention to in terms of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah understood the importance of times and seasons. And it's really important for us that we understand times and seasons in life. I mean, uh, as women, we know that the one constant in our lives is change. And for many of us, change is a constant and it's important we understand you know, okay, now I'm a child, now I'm a teenager, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a married man, oh, uh, now I'm a grandfather, you know, for men, they can also go through it, for women, we go through it, many of us go through different seasons, and there's seasons in God as well, there's seasons of plenty, there's seasons where we're in an oasis, there's seasons where he manifests himself to us, but there are also seasons of hiddenness where things change, and maybe it feels like we're going through a desert, God hasn't moved, We're just in a different season, and we need to understand what God is doing in what season so we can align with His will. So we're not fighting against the season or fighting against God because that would be foolish. So we need to understand seasons and times so we can flow with them. Okay? Now remember, Nehemiah heard about the walls in Jerusalem being broken down in the autumn, uh, in the month of Kislev. And that's when he began to pray. He didn't do anything. He didn't rush out and start trying to fix the problem. Some of us are fixers. We want to do something about it. But he didn't rush out and try and fix anything straight away. He carried the burden in prayer. And um, it was the month of Nisan, which is in spring, when he managed to speak to the king about it. And, um, So he had wisdom regarding times and seasons. And we see other people in the Bible that that also had wisdom concerning times and seasons. Other examples, um, and I want to specifically look at Jesus because he's a great example for us. Uh, If we look at uh, John 2 verse 1 to 4, it says, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. And Jesus responded to his mother, dear woman, that is not our problem. My time has not yet come. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, listen, my time to begin doing miracles and being manifested is not yet here. He understood times and seasons. Now we all know that he did go ahead and turn the water into wine. But Jesus understood that, hey, you know what? Probably the season for that is not yet here. Um, Another example is in Matthew 26, verse 18, where Jesus says, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, My time is at hand. Jesus was indicating that he knew the time for him to die was at hand. He had a sense of times and seasons in his life. We also need to have a sense of times and seasons. We were instructed in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. For, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. See, there's a time to pray and there's a time to act. Sometimes we do both simultaneously, sometimes not. And we need to ask God for wisdom regarding this. Some of us are more given to pray. We need to ask God for wisdom to know if and when he wants us to act. Some of us are more given to action and we need to ask God for wisdom around when we should start acting and wisdom and and assistance so that we can actually pray into it before we start rushing to sort out the problem and getting involved in the action. And I love the scripture from James 1 verse 5. It's very encouraging for me. He he says to us, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, I lack wisdom. In some areas, I lack wisdom. I ask God for wisdom a lot. We all need to be asking God for wisdom. And you know what? He says here that God gives liberally if we ask him, and he gives without reproach if we ask him. So the first point that I'm wanting to draw our attention to in terms of rebuilding walls, in terms of being nation builders, in terms of uh, being involved in prayer for our nations, is the importance of understanding times and seasons. And the second point that I'm wanting to mention that we can glean from the life of Nehemiah is the importance of seeing, the importance of seeing. In chapter 2 of Nehemiah, we see his return to Jerusalem and he was there for about three days before he went to inspect the walls. So remember, the context is he heard the news, he spent time in prayer, he took it before the king, and then the king sent him back to Jerusalem. So he gets to Jerusalem, he's there for three days, and then he goes to inspect the walls. I love this point. I love it. I mentioned it last week. It speaks to me of watching. It speaks to me of Inspecting of, be, of being aware of the situation on the ground. It speaks to me of seeing what God wants us to see and seeing how God sees. You now, I want to ask you a few questions. Whatever situation you're in right now, are you seeing? Are you watching in your domain? Are you looking? What are you seeing? How are you seeing? Are you seeing what God sees? It's important to see and to see it right. In Nehemiah 2, verse 11 to 15, It reads, so I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I hadn't told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the uh, jackal's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. That was why he was doing it. Then I went to the fountain gate, the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble, so though it was still dark, I went up the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall, before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. He was looking, he was inspecting, he was watching, he was seeing what the situation was like on the ground. It's important what we're seeing. It's important how we see. When we're looking at the world, when we're looking at the areas that we're working in, when we're looking at our domains, the areas of our passions and our burdens, it's important that we say, Lord, can you help me to see as you see, as I'm looking at this? Can you give me your heart as I'm looking, as I'm watching, Lord God? Show me the things that that break your heart. Help me to see as you see. And I see a really awesome... Um, Example of this in Two Kings six verse fifteen to eighteen, but you can read the whole chapter if you're wanting to get the context. But basically, it's the accounts of Elisha and um, and Gehazi. And and to get before I read the scripture, I'm going to give you a bit of background. So basically, the king of Aram has been making war against the king of Israel, and every time he gets into the king of Aram gets into a secret place and makes plans with his officers. Um, to surprise the, the king of Israel, to surprise the Israelites and to defeat them in battle. Basically, he can't do it. The Israelites are never there. They know his plans before he's executed them or when he's executing them, he can see, well, they must have already known that I was going to do this. And he gets really frustrated. This is the king of Aram. And he calls his key people, his officers in, and he starts accusing them, saying, you guys are leaking information." to the Israelites, to the king of Israel. And then they say, no king, no, king of Aram, that is not the case. But it's Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel what your plans are against the Israelites um, every time you come up with new plans. And so the king of Aram sends his army uh, to go and um, get Elisha. And it says, so Elisha and, and Gehazi are in Dothan. And it says in picking up from verse 15 of 2 kings 6 when the servant of the man of god got up early the next morning and went outside there were troops horses chariots everywhere oh sir what will we do now the young man cried to elisha don't be afraid elisha told him for they are more on our side than on theirs then elisha prayed oh lord open his eyes and let him see the lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire, as the as the Aramean army advanced toward him. Elisha prayed, "O Lord, please make them blind." So the Lord struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. You see, sometimes when we look at things on the earth, and the state of our nation and the world, we can feel overwhelmed and even confused by what we see. But it's important we see with the the eyes of faith. It's important we see how God sees. And, And I heard someone make this point once, and I love it, and it comes from this particular scripture that warfare is about who is blinded and confused. Warfare is about who is blinded and confused. It's about what you're looking at and what you're seeing. You see, Goli- uh, uh, Gehazi and Elisha were both in the same situation. In the natural, they were surrounded and it was an impossible situation. There's absolutely no way that they could overcome the Aramaean army. But Elisha was seeing through spiritual eyes. Elisha was seeing from God's perspective. And because of that, he knew what he could pray. Because of that, they got out free because of that they were victorious but if he'd just seen with the eye in the eyes of the natural it could have been a very overwhelming situation you see when we're in the midst of a difficult situation we can either see the situation only through natural eyes or we can ask God to help us see the situation from his perspective and through the eyes of faith any successful warfare begins with seeing the situation aright David did. And we're going to look at that just now. David, when he was facing Goliath, David saw the situation as God saw the situation. And that's why he was victorious. If he'd just seen it in accordance with the eyes of the flesh, he would have had a big problem. So any successful warfare begins with seeing and how we see the situation. When we look at David, his perspective of the situation was correct and we'll look at it just now. It was not in accordance with everyone else was seeing and we have to remember that in life. Sometimes when we see in accordance with how God sees, no one else is going to be seeing what we see or how we see but that's fine as long as we're seeing in accordance with what God is seeing, as long as we're seeing through the eyes of faith. Okay. I remember the Lord ministering this to me uh, some, some years ago. And he said to me, it's not about how you seen but how you see. It's not about who's listening, but are you hearing me? It's not about who's looking or how you look. It's not about who's talking or what you say. It's about how you are seeing and are you seeing me? So he said to me, it's not about how you seen but how you see. It's not about who's listening, but are you hearing me? It's not about who's looking or how you look. It's not about who's talking or what you say. It's about how you're seeing and are you seeing me? We have to see God, see where he is in the situation, see how he's seeing, see what he's seeing, see through the eyes of faith. And it's from that place that we can be victorious in warfare. That is the best place to to do war from. Now, as an intercessor, at times when we see or we feel... Uh, we feel God's heart, we carry in God's heart and pray, it can sometimes be easy to be overwhelmed or intimidated by the magnitude of what we're seeing, the magnitude of the sin, the magnitude of the brokenness that we're praying into. And I know this, this sometimes happens to me. And um, for example, for me, it's, it's abortion. If I think about it, if I'm praying into it, it breaks my heart at such a deep level. If I dwell on it in my own strength with my own um, mind, I can feel so devastated and sad when I think about the facts of how it's done, how many are currently being done, the statistics, how many million, the laws around it. Um, it can end up being overwhelming. But if I'm going to carry God's heart and stand in the gap and intercede, I also need to have some of God's perspective and. I found this to be very comforting, this point that I'm going to share with you now, very comforting and um, very helpful in terms of praying for some heavy burdens or some things, some some yeah, some heavy burdens. Um, and, and, and it's this, this is the this is the comfort that I have is we have to remember the blood of Jesus and seeing situations through the blood of Jesus and that his blood is enough to cover over. A multitude of sins. His blood is enough to cover over a multitude of destruction and ruin. And I don't mean that his blood is—it makes it okay, or his blood gives people license to do it. Um, rather, that he's able to forgive it. And uh, an example of where this really—he really meant really, the Lord really ministered this to me—is I remember visiting the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe. Um, also known as the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin in 2019 in Germany. And out of all the things that I saw in that brief visit, from the German brilliance and engineering at the, the Berlin Central train station, from the beautiful historical monuments and so forth, there were many things that I saw. But that one visit was the most memorable of all. It was like... It was like walking into heaviness and sorrow and sadness and grief and loss and murder. It was like walking into this heavy, heavy place. And um, to be honest with you, my host at that time, she just let me walk in by myself. And I was grateful that she did. I just began to weep and to weep and to weep. And I felt as if I just didn't have enough tears to cry, that if I stayed there all day, I would cry I would weep and weep all day Um, it was so heavy but this most amazing thing happened whilst i was just walking um whilst i was walking alone and allowing my heart to feel and sense what the spirit was saying and just wanting to be open to what um to what god was wanting to say i saw this deep crimson red curtain like those heavy curtains that fall on uh, big stages, um, like for productions, for stage productions, theater productions, it just fell from heaven and it covered over the memorial. And and he asked me if his blood was enough to cover over even this. Um, He asked me that, is his blood enough to cover over even this? And of course the answer is yes. So it's not to say that his blood is a license for the sin or his blood allows it or makes it permissible, but his blood is enough. It can be forgiven. And so sometimes when the burden gets really heavy, when it's a heavy, broad, wide thing that I'm trying to carry, if that makes sense, I have to remember to see it through the blood of Jesus. Okay. So that's the second point. Second point I wanted to make was how we see is important. the third point that I'm wanting to draw from the life of Nehemiah, and 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 these, what I'm going to talk about now and describe, these are the type of men and women of prayer that I believe God is wanting to raise up at this hour. But it's working and guarding, those who work and guard at the same time. So my the title of this point is basically working and guarding are both necessary. Um, We see that Nehemiah challenged his countrymen to arise and rebuild. And in a beautiful picture of how God calls and wants to use each one of us where we find ourselves, we see individuals and families rebuilding sections of the wall or gates in Jerusalem. Nehemiah appoints certain individuals and certain families, certain Part. So it's like this family has this part. This family has this gate. This, these individuals have this section of the wall. So each person had a section to rebuild. Um, and I don't know if you remember. I hope you do. When we started the series, I spoke about how each one of us have a garden. How God has placed each one of us in a garden to tend and to keep it. And this is basically a similar idea. Each family or individual had a section of the wall to rebuild a part which they were given responsibility over and the rebuilding project would only be complete once everyone had done their, their part um, and we see that they not only had to work and rebuild these sec- their section but they also had to watch and be on guard at the same time and so we see the whole idea of tending and keeping coming through in the book of nehemiah when um when the people are rebuilding the wall, because they had to work and guard at the same time. We see this in Nehemiah 4 verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. So they're working at construction with one hand, with the other hand they held a weapon so they were able to fight. Remember the scripture in Genesis, genesis 2 verse 15 then the lord god took the man and put him in the garden of eden to tend and to keep it and if you look at the hebrew word of that uh, uh, the hebrew definition of that word tend it's talking about working and if you look at the hebrew word for keep it's talking about guarding or watching so we see in genesis god put adam in a garden, to tend and to keep it. We see Nehemiah giving us people a section of a wall, that's their garden, that section, okay, to build and to watch. So it's a similar idea. And, and so I believe that God, that is what God is calling us to at this time, to be those who build and watch in specific areas of society, build and watch, those who tend and keep. So we have to do both. We can't say, no, 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 I don't pray. I'm busy. I'm doing the working. Or no, 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 I don't do any working. I'm only praying. Now, I know we have to understand times and seasons, but I think it's both. And we have to be open and available to do both. And I want to ask you today, what walls do you think God has called you to rebuild? And what garden are you in? What garden are you in? What garden are you passionate about in this season? Are you working and watching? Are you tending and keeping? Okay. We also read in Nehemiah 4 how they defended themselves against their enemies. It was um, in spite of opposition from without and abuse from within, Nehemiah continued in what God had tasked him to do. And the task was completed in only 52 days. 52 days. Um, And that was a feat that even the enemies of Israel attributed to God's enabling. So I'm wanting to use Nehemiah to encourage and strengthen each one of us regarding our responsibility to pray for our nation and to rebuild the walls in our nation. no matter how impossible the feat may seem. With God, it is possible. With God, it was possible for them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. With our God, all things are possible, even today, even, our ta- even in our times. And this brings me to our point number 4 which i'm wanting to encourage us regarding in terms of building rebuilding the walls and that is the importance of knowing who our god is the importance of knowing who our god is you know Nehemiah knew the god to whom he prayed at the start of the journey he knew the god to whom he prayed and That was right at the start. So right at the outset, when we come to pray, we have to know the one to whom we are praying. We have to understand how big He is, how big our God actually is, and what He can do. It says in Nehemiah 1 verse 4 to 5, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, Listen, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah knew his great and awesome God. He knew his God who was a covenant keeping God, this God of unfailing love who revealed his unfailing love with those who obeyed him and loved him. He knew the one to whom he was praying. You know, I find it interesting when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he taught us to address our to address our prayer to our Father. Our Father. Our Father. Our knowledge of the one to whom we pray is critical. It affects how I approach him. It affects what I say. It affects what I feel I can ask. It affects my faith levels and the bigness of the prayers that I pray. It affects how much I'll step out and trust him after the prayer. It affects of the level of security in terms of my prayers being heard and answered. We need to know the God to whom we pray. In the words of Jesus, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Who do your prayers say that he is? Who do your actions say that he is? Do you know him personally personally? This is critical for warfare. This is really critical for warfare. When Nehemiah first told his people in Jerusalem his plans and they began to rebuild the wall, they experienced resistance from Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. What was Nehemiah's response to this resistance? Nehemiah's response was to declare his faith in his God, the God of heaven. We see this in Nehemiah 2 verse 19 to 20. It says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew his God. The God of heaven himself will prosper us. The God of heaven, it's very, very powerful. Nehemiah knew his God. In the book of Daniel, we are encouraged that the people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. That's Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. The exploits and successes follow the knowing of our God. And now I'm wanting to touch on the example of David and Goliath here. I mentioned David earlier, but I'm wanting to bring it in at this point because it gives a bit of flesh. It adds a bit of flesh. Flesh Fleshes out this current point that I'm talking about. And we're going to pick up the account of David and Goliath, uh, 1 Samuel 17. And I'm going to read from verse 42 to 50. So we all are familiar with the context within which we find this account of David and Goliath. Basically, we know that Goliath was a Philistine giant and he'd been taunting the army of God. He'd been taunting the Israelites for weeks and weeks. Um, Their strategy at that time in terms of war was to pick uh, a strongest warrior from each army and then let these strong warriors fight hand-to-hand combat. And then the winner, basically the winner of that combat would be the winner of the war Um, so so that's what they were doing and no one from the Israelite army had the guts to face Goliath because he was massive and so here comes David straight off the uh, off the looking after the flock um, of his father he's come from tending the flock his father sends him to bring food to the Israelite army he's a young boy and that's where we pick up the story Um, oh oh let me just give you a little bit more context Basically, David sees Goliath taunting the armies of Israel and he kind of can't believe that none of the Israelite army are willing to face Goliath and he volunteers because he knows who his God is. And this is where I want to pick up, verse 42. When Goliath saw that David was just a healthy, good-looking boy, he made fun of him. Do you think I'm a dog? Goliath asked. Is that why you've come after me with a stick? He cursed David in the name of the Philistine gods. And shouted, come on, when I'm finished with you, I'll feed you to the birds and wild animals. David answered, you've come out to fight with me with a sword and a spear and a dagger. But I've come out to fight you in the name of the Lord All-Powerful. He is the God of Israel's army and you have insulted him too. Today the Lord will help me defeat you. I'll knock you down and cut off your head and I'll feed you to the bodies of the other Philistine I'll feed the bodies of the other Philistine soldiers to the birds and wild animals. Then the whole world will know that Israel has a real God. Everybody here will see that the Lord doesn't need swords or or spears to save his people. The Lord always wins his battles and he will help us defeat you. When Goliath started forward, David ran toward him. He put a rock in his sling and swung the sling around by its straps. When he let go of one strap, the rock flew out and hit Goliath on the forehead. It cracked his skull and he fell down He fell down on the ground. So David defeated Goliath with a sling and a rock. He killed him without even using a sword. David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword. Then he used it to cut off Goliath's head. When the Philistines saw what had happened to their hero, they started running away. Can you see what happened here? Goliath is looking at David through the eyes of the natural and saying, Who is this boy? You're not even coming to me with any weapons. And David is not even in that matrix. He's saying to him, I'm not even looking. He's thinking, probably looking or saying to himself, Dude, you have insulted my God, and I'm coming to you in the name of my God, and he will wipe you out. You know, and he says that to him. He says, you come to me with a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord All-Powerful. He is the God of Israel's army, and you have insulted him. Today he will help me defeat you. So David was seeing the situation through God's eyes. He wasn't seeing it through the eyes of the natural. The whole of the Israelite army was seeing it through the eyes of the natural. David was seeing the situation through God's eyes, and that's what gave him faith to run out and get a victory. That's what gave him faith to God and take on this Goliath. chap. And when he ran out, he just went out with what was in his hand because he knew his God. He knew that he didn't have to have more than what was in his hand. He didn't have to be wearing Saul's armor. He just needed to go with what was in his hand because with his God, that was enough. And I think for many of us, we can learn a lot Through this particular account i don't know about you but i know with me sometimes i can think when i'm facing a new situation maybe i'm in a new race maybe i'm standing before new people and i have to speak or i have to do this or i have to do that maybe for some of you it's starting this new business it's speaking to these people that you're intimidated by it's going here doing this Whatever God is calling you to do, sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, but Lord, this is all I have. I just have a rock, you know, five pebbles. I just have a sling. I don't have, and we look... At everybody else and we compare ourselves I don't have a sword I don't have a, an armor bearer I don't have this I don't have that and then we disqualify ourselves so in effect what we're doing is we agreeing with the words of the enemy sometimes their thoughts sometimes people are saying them to us who are you that you who are you that you think you can who are? but we have to remember at that point to stop ourselves and to refuse to be in agreement with those things and say no I made And you know what? Maybe we agree with him. Yes, I'm only coming with with pebbles and a sling, but I don't come to you in my strength. I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And I know my God and he is well able to do X, Y, and Z. We need to know our God. The people who know their God will be strong and do mighty exploits. You see, we become a powerful weapon in God's hand when we know who our God is. We become a powerful weapon in God's hand when we take our eyes off ourselves and what we have and what we don't have and what our enemies have. And we just look to God and say, Lord, I'm going to bring you just what I have because just what I have is enough when I'm in your hands with just what I have. Amen. So so here is the principle that warfare begins with intimacy. Warfare begins with intimacy. When we become secure with who He is and who we are in Him, the rest of the issue merely becomes details. It doesn't matter because we know who our God is, because we know what He spoke to us, because we know how He's calling us, where He's leading us, and what He wants us to pray and to do. And, and that becomes enough. Then what we have in our hands, no matter how small or apparently insignificant, it just fades away because we are fully assured of the outcome, because we are fully assured who goes with us. We don't need to draw comparisons or measure ourselves against each other because God is enough. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 18 verse 29. He says, in your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale a wall. With God, I'm a majority. With God and whatever I bring to the table, we're a majority. Amen. Okay, so that's the importance of knowing our God. The fifth point that I'm wanting to draw from Nehemiah is the importance of his word. The importance of his word. Uh, in Nehemiah 1 verse 8 to 9 this is Nehemiah and he's and he's and he's praying and he says please remember what you told your servant Moses if you are unfaithful to me I will scatter you but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored says to the Lord please remember what you told your servant Moses. See, he could pray that to God and remind him of what God had said because he was aware of it. If he wasn't aware of that promise, he couldn't bring it before God and remind him and say, hey Lord, remember your word, remember your promise. And God loves it when we do that. And he loves to answer those types of prayers. And I want to ask ask you today, what does his word say? Do you know what his word says? Do you know what his word says concerning your situation, concerning your domo- domain, concerning your garden, concerning your area of work or of passion? Do you know what his word says? Do you know what, is, what he has promised you, what he's promised us? It's really critical that we know what his word says concerning situations. Ephesians 6 verse 17 teaches us that his word is our offensive weapon. You know, when the enemy comes against us, telling us lies, challenging us, accusing us, we need to be able to bring out the word, just like Jesus did when he was tempted by the devil. We need to know the word of God. And it's not enough just to know a few cute scriptures. We have to know the word, know what it was meant for, know the context, understand what the Lord was saying so that we can use it and use it powerfully. 1 Timothy 1 verse 18 teaches us that we wage warfare with his word. We wage warfare with with his word. Paul was instructing Timothy in the scripture and he instructs him to basically um, to, to wage warfare according to the word that had been given to him, the promises, the pro- prophecies that had been given him. So we need to bring to remembrance the words that God has spoken to us, bring to remembrance the prophecies that God has spoken of our domains or given to us for our nations or whatever ever is we praying into. And we bring them before God. We remind him of those words. We're waging warfare with those words. And you know, as I wage warfare with the word, I'm declaring it. I'm reminding myself of it. My faith is rising and I'm reminding God of that particular word. And the encouraging thing concerning the word of God, and I love the scripture in Isaiah 55 verse 11, it teaches us that his word always accomplishes that which it was sent for. His word always prospers in that which it was sent for, the purpose that it was sent for. That's what Isaiah teaches us. So we know that as we release his word, as we declare his word, as we pray in agreement with his word, we know that it will always accomplish that which the Lord sent it for. Another thing that I'm just wanting to bring in right here when we're talking about the word and his promises is to think about and remember the redemptive purpose of the domain or the nation that you're praying for, uh, or the people group that you're praying for, um, when we the, the redemptive purpose of something is, is what God wants to use that thing for. Now, sometimes you know we live in a fallen world, and people can end up doing things and taking the gifts that God gave them and use it for negative. But there's a redemptive purpose for nations, for people groups. Um, there's something good that God has given various people groups and nations. And so we want to bear that in mind as we're praying for these particular things. Um, for example, uh, if you look at the um, nation of uh, United States of America, American people in general are very generous and, and generosity is one of their redemptive purposes, they give, you know, the nation of America has given a lot and people in America are generally generous, we see this with Nigeria, Nigerians as well, generally, um, Nigerians are very generous, they are giving people, it's part of their redemptive purpose, Um, if we look closer to home, if we look at the Zulu people, uh, the Zulu people were a warrior nation in the natural, but when that is redeemed, it can be used in spiritual warfare, so They're a warring people and yes, in the spirit, God would want to redeem that and use that in the spirit realm. So it's it's important as we're looking at various areas that we're praying into that we think about what are God, what are the redemptive purposes, what are some of the things God might want to do, might have spoken over these areas and then begin to use that in our times of prayer. In our times of prayer as well and we can apply this also to the purpose of domains and the areas that we're working in or praying for um, yeah it's basically just coming back to God's purposes and God's word in in various areas and it's a strong place to pray from okay so that was the fifth point that's the word of God uh, using the word of God and remembering the word of God, noting the word of God. And and the last point that I'm wanting to bring to our attention in terms of rebuilding the walls and in terms of looking at the book of Nehemiah is preparation for resistance. We have to be prepared for resistance. We have to be prepared for resistance. There's no way that we see in the Bible that a person was given a prophetic word and walked and skipped from A to B directly into their prophetic promised land. Nowhere do we see that. It just doesn't happen. There's always resistance to the fulfillment of of where God is taking us, of what God has promised us, of what God wants to do. There always is resistance. There's there's often a declaration of the word and then there's um, a whole lot of preparation of the people and and whatever situation that God is is working in, and then then only is there the demonstration of what was God declared at the start. And we see it in Joseph's life. We see it in the lives of the Israelites uh, when they're taken out of Egypt and they go through the wilderness and then into the promised land. There's always a process to the fulfillment of the word. And we have to know that the in-between time from when God gives us the burden and when we see the breakthrough, there will probably be resistance. There will probably be warfare. And you know what? God is probably going to use that to fashion us and teach us how to war, to help us to be in a place of faith, to prepare our hearts. So he's going to be working in us as we are working to see his purposes um, come into fruition in the external. But there will be resistance and it's not always a bad thing. And God will use it for our good, but we need to be prepared for it. And so when the attacks and the resistance do come, and they did come against Nehemiah, we need to be found in faith, trusting in God. Um, we see this in Nehemiah 2 verse 19 to 20. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard of the plans of Nehemiah and what they were doing and the rebuilding, they laughed and despised us, and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Well, they weren't rebelling against the king, um, but they said, will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And I read this scripture just now, but we have to be found in faith, it's just saying the God of heaven himself will prosper us. God can do it. You know, when the Israelites Uh, left Egypt and they went through the wilderness and they arrived at the edge of the promised land the first time and they sent the 12 spies into the promised land to survey uh, the land and, and come back with a report for the rest of the Israelites. Two out of the 12 were found in faith. The rest were found in fear. The rest said, oh, we were like grasshoppers you know, in their in their sight. We were like grasshoppers, no ways. What? And there were only two who were found in faith. And that's the reason that the Israelites had to then go back into the wilderness and spend another 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they weren't found in faith. Their hearts weren't ready to take on the giants in the land. And so it's so important that we have the same heart as Nehemiah, where we say, no matter what you say against us, no matter the mocking, the ridicule, no matter the giants that we face, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. We will be fine. We know our God is well able to do it. See, Nehemiah was so focused on God's purpose, so focused on what God was wanting to do, what God had laid on his heart to do and trusting in him to prosper the thing that he laid on his heart in the first place. He was so focused on that that the enemy couldn't find an entry point to bring discouragement. And we see that. You see, the enemy can bring discouragement and disillusionment often when we take our eyes off God and we put it on the situation that we see with our natural eyes. But as long as we continuing to stay in a place of faith, continuing to see through the eyes of faith, the enemy won't be able to make discouragement stick because we found in faith in God. The second thing that I'm wanting to encourage us as we think about rebuilding walls in our nation is that we need to be found in prayer. And we see this near Nehemiah 4, verse 7 to 9. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and... Uh, The Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became angry, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I just love that. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. All these ites, all these people were conspiring to bring confusion, conspiring to come against Nehemiah and the people and the work that they were doing for the Lord. And he just says, nevertheless, We made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch day and night. What did He do? He responded with more prayer. He responded with more watching. He responded with more intercession. He responded with more of the good stuff. He didn't sit back and allow Himself to become discouraged. And I think this is really important. When we see the resistance coming, we need to set up a guard day and night. We need to, nevertheless, nevertheless, we need to pray. Whatever, you bring, whatever the enemy's bringing, nevertheless, we're going to pray more. We're going to pray more. We're going to pray more. And he doesn't want us to do that. He wants the discouragement to stop our praying. And so that's really, really important. We want to find ourselves in prayer as the resistance come. The attacks and resistance only served to cause Nehemiah and his people to turn to God in more prayer and to watch more vigilantly. This is an outstanding example for us. The third thing that we need to remember when the resistance comes is we need to remember to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We need to remember to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And the first scripture I'm wanting to look at in this regard is Nehemiah 4 verse 10 to 14. Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubble that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. (laughs) Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, with their spears, with their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome and fight for your brethren, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives and for your houses. What was Nehemiah doing? He was strengthening them. Yes, from a strategic perspective, setting them with their spears and their bows and their swords and everything but he was also strengthening them in their hearts. And he was saying, remember the Lord, remember your great and awesome God, fight for your brethren, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives. He was trying to cause them to be strengthened in their hearts because at the beginning of that scripture, that portion of scripture that I read, we we saw that the strength of the laborers was failing. So he was wanting them to be strengthened. Do you remember what Mordecai said to Esther? In Esther 4 verse 14, um, he said, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What was he saying to Esther? You know, there'd been a decree that all Jews must be killed. And Esther was a Jew. And so Mordecai was saying to her, stand up. He was strengthening her. Stand up. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that applies to us too. Who knows whether we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And we have come to the kingdom. We have come to this earth, to these domains, to these gardens, to these areas. For such a time as this. And we need to arise um, and play our part and strengthen ourselves. You know, remember what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29 verse seven, he said, seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. We need to be strengthened. The responsibility lies with us as believers. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and continue to pray. Strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Speak out, strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Rebuild the walls because who knows if we've come for such a time as this and we have come for such a time as this amen nehemiah 6 verse 9 says for they were all trying they were all trying to make us afraid saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done now therefore O god strengthen my hands praying for hands to be strengthened saying, you know what, there's weakness, and we cannot, you know, they're saying that this, our enemies are saying, this cannot be done, we can't do it. Nevertheless, Lord, strengthen my hands. And I love the example that we find of this in David, and I preached a message on this last year sometime about strengthening ourselves in the Lord. And We pick the scripture up in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, and it says, Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now the context of this particular scripture is that David, I'm sure you're aware of this, but I'm going to go there in case you aren't, is that David had been chased around the countryside by his king for a long time with his king trying to kill him because God had said that David was going to be the next king and King Saul was extremely insecure and wanted to kill him. So he'd been spending years running away from his king, had ended up Uh, joining up with the army of the Philistines the enemy of the Israelites because they gave him a safe refuge and he'd actually been fighting wars for the Israelites for the Philistines I mean Um, and he'd been faithful to do that and now the Philistines were going out to battle against the Israelites and the Philistine leaders said no ways, you're not coming with us because we don't know if we can trust you. But he'd never proved himself to be untrustworthy, but they said no. So David ends up going back to Ziklag, which is where his wives and children, which is where the families were of all of his men. When he gets back to Ziklag, it's been burned. It's been ransacked. The wives and the children have all been taken away. Um, by his enemies and so he gets back and he sees this and this is where he says this now if you can imagine David has been relying and fighting with his men and now it's his men who turn against him and they want to stone him because it says the soul of all his people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters who'd been taken away taken captive and what did David do at this point it says he strengthened himself in the Lord you know what I get from this there is no situation that justifies us from not turning to God and strengthening ourselves in the Lord. You might feel like you're the only one. You might feel like your family's turned against you. You might feel like your brothers and sisters in church have come against you. You might feel one out. You might feel like the only one. It doesn't matter. You strengthen yourself in the Lord. I need to strengthen myself in the Lord and I need to gain the skills to strengthen myself in the Lord. I can't wait for someone else to do it. I can't wait for someone to pray for me all the time. It's something that I've got to learn to do because I will need that skill in the day of battle. So strengthening ourselves in the Lord, Nehemiah did. He strengthened himself in in the Lord, and David did. We see that. And, and I'd like to encourage us to do that regularly, to do that where we don't allow the enemy to get a foothold and bring in discouragement and bring in despair and bring in disillusionment, especially as we seek to rebuild the walls of our nation. So, in closing, I would like to remind us of the few points that I have mentioned today with respect to rebuilding the walls of our nation. The first is we need to understand times and seasons. We need to understand our time and season. We need to understand what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in our nation. We need to understand times and seasons, when to pray and when to act, when to pray and act, when to rally people around something, when to do it on our own like Nehemiah did. The second point is watching, inspecting, and seeing is important how are we seeing what are we looking at how are we looking are we praying and asking god to give us his vision are we seeing through the eyes of faith or through natural eyes the third one working and guarding tending and keeping are both necessary both of them are necessary both of them are important we need to be able to work and guard in our garden to tend and keep in our garden Both are important and both are spiritual. The fourth one is knowing our God is critical. Knowing our God is critical. Intimacy with the Lord is is the first place we go to in terms of warfare. That 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 is the foundation for successful warfare. The people who know their God will be strong and do mighty exploits. The fifth one is... People, we need to know his word. We need to know his promises. We need to dig and mine in his word for our domains, for our lives, for our workplaces, for our gardens, for our nations. We need to find out his promises and declare them, remind him, stand on that word, use it in warfare. Knowing his word is important. It's vital. And the last point that I'm wanting to leave us with today is being prepared for the inevitable resistance is important we need to be prepared for it it's coming it always comes we mustn't let it take us by surprise we need to be prepared for it and be found positioned spiritually in the right places so when we come to pray when we come to intercession when we come with a heart and desire to rebuild the nation we need to come with boldness we need to come knowing that at the end of the day whatever happens along the along the way Jesus Christ Will remain. Jesus Christ is victorious. He will make a way. He will provide the favor. He will provide the resources. He will provide the manpower. If it's on his agenda, he will make it happen. Whether it happens now in our lifetime or not, okay? It's on his agenda more than ours. He will still be standing on the last day and we fight on his side. So I'm wanting to encourage us that we are victorious. And even if we lose um, a battle or two along the way, we don't lose the war. We won't lose the war. We fight on the winning side. And, um, and as I leave you, I'm wanting to share this quote. I've shared it before. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's by Malcolm Muggerich, the late Malcolm Muggerich. And this is what he says. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling. Revolutions counter revolutions wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed, Shakespeare has spoken of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. I look back upon my own fellow countrymen of England once upon a time dominating a quarter of the world, most of them convinced, in the words of what is still a popular song, that the God who made them mighty shall make them mightier yet. I heard a crazed crack Austrian announce to the world the establishment of a German Reich that would last a thousand years. I've seen an Italian clown saying he was going to stop and restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. I've seen a murderous Georgian brigand in the Kremlin, acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the world, as a wiser than Solomon, a more humane than Marcus Aurelius, more enlightened than Ashoka. I've seen America more wealthier, and in terms of military weaponry, more powerful than the rest of the world put together, so that had the American people so desired, they could have outdone a Caesar or an Alexander in the range and scale of their conquest. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime. All gone, gone with the wind. England, part of a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead, remembered only in infamy. Stalin is a forbidden name in the name in the regime he helped found and dominate for some three decades. America is haunted by the fears of running out of the precious fluids, that keep her motorways roaring and the smog settling, and the victory of the Don Quixotes of the media as they charge the windmills of Watergate, all in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. Behind the debris of the fallings of our solemn supermen and imperial diplomatists lies the gigantic figure of one person, because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom mankind may still survive, the person of Jesus Christ. I love that last, one, that last part. Behind the debris of the fallings of our solemn Superman, and imperial diplomatist lies the gigantic figure of one person because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom mankind may still survive, the person of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So, Father, we thank you that we fight on the winning side, that you are for us, that we fight to bring your purposes um, onto this earth. And I just pray Lord God, that you would continue to give us wisdom, wisdom in warfare, that you would continue to lead us and to guide us, that you would help us to understand times and seasons, that you would help us as we see to see aright, that you would help us to work and to watch, to tend and to keep, Lord God. I pray that you would take us deeper in our knowledge of you, our experiential knowledge of who you are and your word and your promises, Lord. And may you take us deeper, Lord God, in warfare, guide us and lead us as we continue in this task of of rebuilding our walls and building our nation. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.